Welcome to the Geneva Peace Week podcast series, a project of the Geneva Peacebuilding Platform. Geneva Peace Week is a leading annual forum on the international peacebuilding calendar. It's a week of workshops, videos, and podcasts just like this one, hosted by different organizations and actors around the world. It's founded on the core belief that each and every person, actor, and institution has a role to play in building peace and resolving conflict. You're currently listening to a podcast produced for Geneva Peace Week 2022, held from the 31st of October to the 4th of November, with both live events and pre-recorded contributions that discuss how peace is possible. For more content just like this, join the conversation at genevapeaceweek.ch. Welcome to Food Security for Peace, a podcast exploring pathways to build peace through food and agricultural interventions. My name is Emilia Giancarlo. And my name is Ambral Kilani. We are students at the Geneva Graduate Institute, and we will be the moderators of this podcast. The climate crisis is significantly transforming the global peace and security landscape. It exacerbates the social, economic, and political processes that can lead to instability and conflict. This situation has given rise to a new area of focus called climate security. Within this area, food security plays a central role. More than 26% of all damages and losses caused by medium and large-scale climate-related disasters are absorbed by the agricultural sector. And conflict is the key driver of food insecurity, often combined with climate-related shocks. In fragile contexts, climate and conflict risks often interact and reinforce each other in a vicious circle, thus creating myriad challenges for agri-food systems. Climate can amplify conflict risks and outcomes while also negatively affecting adaptive capacity to climatic conditions. At the same time, carefully designed food security interventions and improved natural resource management have the potential to maximize synergies between climate adaptation and mitigation and sustaining peace. This podcast explores the possible pathways through which food and agricultural interventions can contribute to peace by hearing the perspectives of several experts on the topic. Our first expert is Dr. Peter Lederer, Principal Scientist and Co-Lead Climate Security at the Consortium of International Agricultural Research Centers, otherwise known as CGIR. Peter, to start us off, could you perhaps explain why agri-food systems are central to understanding the potential linkages between climate and conflict? Agri-food systems are indeed key in understanding the climate security nexus. Of course, 15 years ago or 10 years ago or still sometimes now, scientists try to establish the direct link between climate and conflict, which of course is not the objective and and very complicated and not very meaningful. But still, we need to understand all those indirect pathways, those causal pathways, whereby climate exacerbates conflict. And everything that happens between climate and conflict is around agri-food systems. We all agree that climate has an impact on crop, crop productivity, on food security, and we all agree that food security has an impact on conflict. Of course, there's many other pathways through resource scarcity, resource abundance, migration, or food security, as explained before. So agri-food systems or food systems overall, they represent everything that happens between climate and conflict. So that's why it's very important to understand all those linkages and drivers 
so that we can then target interventions, policies and investments within food systems so that food system can, can be transformed and contribute to peace and security. Thank you, Peter, for this very informative answer. Our next question is to Julius Jackson, who leads the Conflict and Peace Unit at the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, or FAO. Julius, could you tell us a bit more about the peace contributing potential of food and agricultural interventions? Thanks, Ambra. I think it's worth remembering that in protracted crises between 65 and 80% of the population depend on agriculture for their livelihoods. And there are numerous possible pathways for support to food security and agricultural livelihoods to contribute to peace, as long as they are designed correctly and are contextually appropriate. So, for example, competition and unequal access to land and renewable natural resources such as water can frequently be a source of tension between user groups. So, as well as supporting resilient livelihoods through, say, climate-smart agriculture, we can strengthen formal and or informal conflict management mechanisms over irrigation allocations, which may have been disrupted by conflict. So tensions and disputes are more likely to be addressed in a non-violent manner and hopefully resource-related incidents reduced because community members have increased capacity and willingness to prevent and resolve conflicts. But to contribute to peace, we need to remember that these need to be deliberate efforts um, to make sure that interventions around food security and agriculture can contribute to peace. Thank you, Julius. Perhaps you could also provide us with an example in which food and agricultural interventions have been particularly successful in contributing to peace and stability. Well, in areas of the Sahel, climate change has meant pastoralists migrate earlier and for longer periods trying to find pasture, and they're often forced to move away from traditional routes, um, sometimes passing through cultivated areas. So this increases the possibility to damage crops and trigger tensions and sometimes violence with more sedentary um, livelihood groups. Uh, along the Chad-Niger border, um, a FAO and WFP project contributed to reducing transhumance-related conflicts by more than 50% in that local area. Um, the project supported the marking of more than 100 kilometers of transhumance corridors, which helped reduce the destruction of fields by livestock, which, as I said, is a, is a key conflict trigger. So I think that's one pretty impressive example. Um, quickly, a second one. Um, by some estimates, I mean, there are hundreds and perhaps even thousands of people a year are killed in Yemen over water disputes. A project implemented by FEO with IOM helped uh, water user associations resolve 15 local water-related conflicts and increase access to water and improve water infrastructure for around 27,000 farmers. So the project was also able to drive change by formalizing women's involvement in the resolution of water-related conflicts through more inclusive water user associations. And by resolving these local conflicts and, the, and restoring the water infrastructure, we have direct and positive impacts not only on local peace, but on crop production, local food security and farmers' incomes. Thank you, Julius, for this enlightening example. We'll now further explore the importance of food security in peace building with our next guest, Albert Souza Muley from Interpeace. 
Albert, Interpeace is a peace-building organization. So how is food security linked to Interpeace's work? Interpeace has over 27 years of experience delivering peace-building programs in Africa, the Middle East, Asia, Europe, and Latin America. Through this experience, we've seen firsthand the close links between food security and peace. We've seen how conflict can cause food insecurity, but also how food insecurity can contribute to the grievances that drive conflict, particularly when combined with stresses such as climate variability, economic inequality, poor governance, and increasing scarcity of renewable natural resources. However, more positively, we also see the inverse, where sustainable and equitable food systems have the potential to prevent or even reduce conflict drivers, triggers, and impacts, and thereby contribute to peace. So, for example, in the Sahel, Interpeace is piloting a new initiative together with the Patrip Foundation in the cross-border region between Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, and Mali. In essence, the program aims to enhance social cohesion and build peace by, among other things, strengthening economic opportunities, livelihoods, and food security for the local population, and reinforcing cross-border collaboration. The program recognizes that increasing agricultural production and facilitating cross-border trade in the region will contribute to peace and stability by addressing conflict-related grievances around food security and livelihoods, showing that economic peace-building is part of the way that Interpeace approaches peace-building as a multidimensional challenge and that food security needs to be part of that equation, particularly in areas where food issues and food system weaknesses contribute to conflict drivers. How interesting the strong linkage between food security and peace-building. So jumping off from that, we're also wondering... Is climate change affecting Interpeace's interventions at country level? And which countries have been prioritized and why? Interpeace understands conflict as complex, multi-level, and multi-dimensional systems. As with food security, Interpeace's experience has shown us that in the most fragile and conflict-affected places, peacebuilding can only be effective and sustainable if it also considers this relationship. The bottom line is that only together, through greater social cohesion and cooperation, can communities properly address the challenge. A recent study undertaken by FAO, IGAD, and Interpeace on the conflict situation in the cross-border region between Ethiopia, Kenya, South Sudan, and Uganda, referred to as the Karamoja Cluster, showed that conflict there is greatly compounded by the impacts of increasing climate change. The evidence shows that climate change contributes to driving conflict in Karamoja by depleting rangeland resources and exacerbating competition between pastoralists. Conversely, Conflict and related insecurity is restricting mobility and access to key grazing resources, causing concentration of livestock in specific locations, resulting in overuse and degradation, thereby exacerbating the impacts of climate change and affecting populations' food security. And because of the relationship between food security and conflict, this in turn also contributes to conflict drivers. This example shows how we, as a peacebuilding organization, have recognized and are adapting our interventions to better address the multidimensional nature of the challenge facing many fragile and conflict-affected countries, and specifically the interlinkages between conflict, climate change, and food security. Key to this is strengthening our partnerships with local communities themselves and with other organizations that bring different types of expertise, such as FAO. To address multidimensional challenges, we need to work collaboratively to find and take forward multidisciplinary solutions, which can be both effective and sustainable to address what is effectively a multidisciplinary and multidimensional challenge. Thank you. Thank you, Albert. Thank you. Our next guest, Dr. Caroline Pelaton from the Geneva Water Hub, will explore the special role of water in peace building. We know that water has always been a source of conflict especially in dry climates. With climate change accelerating, how can water-based interventions contribute to food security and peace? 
The Geneva Water Hub believes that water should be positioned at the center of the humanitarian, peace and development agendas to break the silos and to address people's vulnerability. In order to achieve this vision, we must work in a multi-level perspective, from local to regional. A good example is from our work in the Liptakogorma in the Sahel region, where it is clear that humanitarian and development strategies are not always adapted to the needs of local populations. Another way is to promote the effectiveness of transboundary water cooperation. River-basin organizations have a key role to play in ensuring regional stability by integrating the needs at the local level within the regional development plans. One of the best models is the Organization for the Development of the Senegal River Basin, which has proven efficient in addressing drought, strengthening local economies for the resilience of its population. Due to climate change and growing demand for the water resource, water is under stress and can be a source of tension, but it is foremost a tool for dialogue, cooperation and peace. Interesting. As a follow-up question, the Water Hub is part of the Blue Peace Movement, So could you tell us a bit more about it, including uh, the concept of hydro-diplomacy? The Geneva Water Hub, at the interface between science and diplomacy, provides a unique framework that brings together actors from the local, cross-sectoral and transboundary level. By facilitating dialogue, fostering cooperation and offering space for mediation, by having solid science to feed policies and nourish the discussion, it is possible to position water as a means of preventing or peacefully resolving tensions and conflicts. The actions of the Geneva Water Hub are at the heart of the Blue Peace Movement, which aims to develop a culture of peace and preserve precious freshwater resources while achieving equitable and sustainable use of water across boundaries, sectors and generations. Blue Peace shifts competition over limited freshwater resources into collaboration resulting into more peaceful, cohesive, and sustainable societies. Thank you, Caroline. To conclude, we would like to consider also the role of gender in climate security. For these, we will go back to Peter. Peter, the issue of gender and social equity is a key component of CGIR's work on climate security. Could you tell us a bit more about it using a concrete example? This is a very important question. Thank you so much. Uh, we just published, in fact, uh, a paper, a uh, position paper called the Gender Climate Security Nexus, where we also give some examples. Let me share one of those from the Ganges Delta, where the loss of agricultural production due to cyclones, storm surges, and saltwater intrusion has forced landless marginal laborers to migrate to urban areas within Bangladesh, such as the Koral Islam. Labor exploitation and hazardous working conditions are experiences commonly faced by many of those migrants. For those who mainly work in fields and relied on natural resources, the abrupt change in the type of work available in urban areas likely puts their health and well-being at risk. The human security risk related to food, nutrition, health and income for women in Koral Islam in Dhaka are compounded by overcrowded living conditions and daily struggles to access basic facilities like electricity, gas, water and sanitation. Furthermore, sexual and gender-based violence, including domestic abuse, child marriage, and harassment in public places threaten women and girl migrants. Thank you, Peter. To conclude, food and agricultural interventions provide many promising pathways for building peace. In the climate security context, ag interventions can work to anticipate and thus reduce the risk of conflict. 
they can also be harnessed to actively combat the negative effects of climate change. They do so by increasing communities' resilience, thus contributing to social stability and reducing conflict. So, despite the many new challenges to peace that we now face due to climate change, we can remember the words from the first United Nations Conference on Food and Agriculture in 1943. Progress towards freedom from want is essential to lasting peace. Thank you for listening to this installment of the Geneva Peace Week podcast series. If something caught your attention, moved you, or helped you in some way, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review. You can also visit our website to continue the conversation with the makers of this episode, or join us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Geneva Peace Week. Above all, thanks for being here. We hope you'll join us again for another episode of the Geneva Peace Week podcast series soon.